but I just wanted to share a little bit because this kind of goes into our message this morning from the Lord as we look at God's word and the powerful divine nature in which it has the authority over our lives. As I was praying and seeking the Lord in which I wanted to share, and I, I had a, a scripture on my heart as I've been meditating and memorizing it. And so I was like, well, that, that'd, be, that'd be fun. That'd be cool. But then I, during a devotion this past week, I was like, well, Lord, if you want to change it, you can change it. Uh, I, I don't want to just do something that I, I, wanted, I want, Lord, this to be your message. Uh, and I found a little scripture box um, and I opened it. And the first verse that pulled out was 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. So I was like, okay, Lord, this is the one we're going to go with. And so I'm super, super excited to share God's word with you this morning. And so would you do read with me 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And it reads as, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for your version may say rebuke. This is for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Heavenly Father, that's what we want. Lord, we want your word to equip us. We want your word to um, provoke us into righteousness, Lord. Father, I pray as your children, as sons and daughters of the most high God, Lord, we would come humble before you this morning. Lord, would your word wash over us, cleanse us of any unrighteousness before you, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that if there is sin that is hidden in our lives, Lord, you as light would bring it to um, open. Lord, that's exactly what your word does as it reveals our hearts to us. Lord, your spirit come this morning and speak through me. May the hearts of those, including my mind, be softened to receive your word, to be implanted so that may we grow in you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, my name is Lincoln, youth pastor here, and that kind of has to go with my personality overseeing the student ministry. Uh, I, I'm 25, but sometimes I'm, I, I still act like I'm 15 um, because otherwise they call me an old man. And so I kind of have to be cool with them a little bit. So that kind of goes with my personality is I, I'm very kind of sarcastic uh, and I like to joke a lot. And sometimes it gets me in trouble. And sometimes I'm like, oh man, why did I say that? Immediately I'm like trying to catch that word back into my mouth. Um, but I wanted to share this with you because I remember in sixth grade, uh, somehow I got good grades in school, and so I was gifted with a Bible. I remember returning, giving my mom my, uh, my report card, and in return, I remember being in the parking lot of this school in the middle of Texas, and I was gifted a Bible. And I say this because from that point, from in sixth grade up until present day, the Lord has been knitting in me a love for his word. From that point on, I can remember every single day, and not every day did I do it, but I had a love, a desire to get up, to devote some time to reading Scripture, to get to know my Lord, to get to know how He speaks to us, to speaks to me, how He wants to move me and to grow me and to mold me closer to His image and His Son, Jesus. And as I grew up and I matured just naturally, getting older and in my walk with the Lord, it was through reading Scripture. It was through reading His Word, spending 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes, uh, just really just sitting down and just reading God's Word. And from that point on, I can remember just gradually the love for His Word continued to grow and grow and grow. And since that day, it's not me, but the Lord has pr produced in me just such a love and a respect for His Word. Seeing the, the authority, the divine nature of God's spoken word, that it isn't just some historical book that we can rely on and compare to others, but it's set apart. It's set apart. 
It's God's spoken word. And so this morning's title of this message is Sola Scriptura, and it's a Latin phrase, and we'll get into it in a minute. But as the Lord was, again, Lincoln, you are teaching 2 Timothy 3.16, and I, I knew this from just, again, a devotional style, but as I, I dug into it a little deeper, this is a highly controversial text. There's a lot of controversy behind this text. And for me, as a, as a young Christian, as a young pastor, I was like, man, this is God's word. This is totally his authority. No questions asked. But there are so many out there in this world today and in past, and we'll get to see that in a minute, who don't believe that God's word is the only authority. That there's other texts that we can compare it to and, and set it on the same level of authority. And that's just not the case. And we'll see that through his word. We'll see it through God's word alone. And so we are so blessed this morning. And this is really, if you get this, I'm, I'm pumped. To know and to understand that you are and I am blessed, highly blessed, to hold within our hands, to have in our daily lives God's spoken word. That we can hold on to this. That we know that, that, that scripture Although it was written over a span of 1,500 years in three separate continents and three different languages by some 40 authors, that we have a unified message pointing to Jesus. It's crazy to think about that. It's crazy to think that within 1,500 years and, and 40 some odd authors and, and three different languages, it all points to Jesus. I remember wisdom from a pastor one day is Lincoln, when you are teaching, you get your text and you go directly towards the cross. You point that text to the cross. And I haven't had to, to kind of work that in or figure it out and how I'm going to study God's word to make it point to the cross. It points to the cross. It doesn't matter where you are. That it's provoking. It rebukes our hearts. It teaches our hearts about Jesus. No matter if you're in the book of Judges or Leviticus or Revelation, it's Jesus across the board. It's amazing. It's wonderful. So again, title for this morning is Sola Scriptura. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, as Paul is writing this letter to young Timothy. And here we are. Again, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I am by no means any Greek scholar. I love to geek out and have fun with it. Um, but when something says all scripture, it's pretty plain that it's all scripture is profitable. It is God breathed. So this term solo scriptura is in the Latin, which just specifically means scripture alone or alone is scripture. And this term really became popular because of a man named Martin Luther. So Martin Luther was a man born on November 10th, 1483 in Germany. By the year 1517 comes along, Martin Luther had discovered and, and really began to have a rigorous reading style in which he began to love God's word and study God's word. And again, you know this story maybe, but by the time the year 1517 rolled in, specifically on October 31st of that year, Martin Luther, reading God's word, looking at it, and comparing it to what the church was teaching in that day, things weren't lining up. He saw that the tradition of men didn't align with the scriptures. He saw that the teachings of the church were, were not what God was teaching through his word. And so when 1517 came around, again, he had discovered and developed this rigorous reading habit in his own life. Martin Luther began to see really two things. 
There are probably more, but you heard that he went to the, the doorpost in Wittenberg and, and, and posted a 95-point a like, thesis about different reasons of what the church was teaching, how they didn't align with Scripture. Really interesting to read about. And two of those things, and we'll point out really one of them, but I wanted to share another one as well. Number one is that the, specifically in this day that the Roman Catholic Church was creating a false assurance that they were teaching the teaching of indulgences, that they, they can go and, and purchase these indulgences to kind of temporarily kind of push away any penalty of that sin, that they were able to kind of go away from that so they would go and that guilt that they felt would go and purchase an indulgence and maybe that would make them feel better. So that created a false insurance and maybe some even believe that they could purchase their way into heaven and the response to that was Jesus' blood was enough. There's nothing we can add to it, as if there was. Martin Luther also noticed, and this is the point in which we'll highlight this morning, was that the church was placing the tradition of the church on the same authority level of the scriptures. And this is where this term sola scriptura holds such meaning to us this morning as believers, as Bible believers, and here even at Calvary Chapel specifically, as we look to go verse by verse because we know the authority in God's word. There's no question. And so as we do that this morning, so therefore, again, as he walked up October 31st, 1517, we know that this is to be the dispensation of the power and the efficacy of indulgences, where he, he posted those 95 points. And, and not to go into much details about that this morning because we want to sit in this text, but as he did uh, so often, he begged them to debate. He, he begged the, the Roman church to debate him on these points. He didn't just go up and post it and walk away. He wanted to have a debate. He wanted to have a conversation about why he saw that from Scripture these things weren't aligning up. And so on one specific debate in Leipzig, Germany, he was debating this, this term. Solo Scriptura came up on the table, and there was a debate among it. And he said these words, and I want to highlight these, and then we'll jump into our text this morning. He said these words, Martin Luther says, A simple layman armed with Scripture is greater than any of the mightiest popes without it. Say that one more time. A simple layman armed with Scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it. And you may be questioning, well, there's been so many even more debates upon this idea of, of sola scriptura, that is God's word, his sole authority, or are there other things that we must compare to? Is even church authority or eldership, is that maybe on the same level of the scriptures? More recently, in 1993, there's an epic debate between Patrick Madrid and Dr. James White. If you're interested, you can YouTube it. It's fantastic. If you have an additional two hours this, this week between your drive or whatever it is and you want to hear this, it's between Patrick Madrid and Dr. James White on this very topic of Sola Scriptura. So, if you're wondering, Sola Scriptura is this. All that one must believe is found in Scripture and no other source. Scripture is final authority. We could say that Sola Scriptura definition. Scripture is final authority. Scripture's authority does not depend on the authority of man. Am I glad for that? Yes. I am glad that it does not depend on my authority or your authority to have its validity. That God's scripture is God's spoken word, so therefore it is his authority. And very that, this is up behind me on the screen, is that scripture is the word of God. The word of God is authoritative. Therefore, scripture is authoritative. Another one says this, one of my favorite pastors, David Guzik, 
The preacher does not make the word of God come alive. The Bible is alive and gives life to the preacher and anyone else who will receive it with faith. And that's the encouragement this morning is my desire is for you and for even me to continue is to see that how Scripture and its divine authority and its power wants to do, correct us, wants to teach us, and wants to rebuke us as it does often. But it wants to train us in godliness so that we may be equipped for every good work. But the thing is, in which you may see in your own life or maybe heard of, maybe you haven't heard of this debate between whether or not Scripture is final authority. But in my own life, personally, devotion, as I mentioned before, from sixth grade up until now, when I approach Scripture, when I approach the Bible, whether it's through prepping for a teaching or through a devotion, if my heart is not in the position of, humbly coming before the Lord and wanting to receive his word as final authority. I can read it and walk away and whatever. But my heart, and this is my desire to continue and for you as well, is to create, like Martin Luther and myself, continuing in a rigorous reading lifestyle. To desire to devote time within every single day to spend with the Lord because I think as well as my, my own heart is that we can sometimes take the Bible for granted. But when we see it in light of the authority in which it holds and who it comes from, I'm like, oh, wow. I need to approach that in a different manner. But there are some today who even yet place the Bible on the same authority. And there are some today that say, well, sola scriptura can't be a, a valid teaching because it doesn't really specifically say in the Bible that Sola Scriptura is a teaching. Where do you find that in the Bible? Well, the Bible teaches it. Just like the Bible, we don't see the word Trinity, but the Bible teaches the Trinity. There are so many other things in Scripture that some would say, well, we believe in this, but it's not in the Bible, so that's a weak argument. Just because the Bible doesn't say the, the word Bible doesn't mean we can't call it the Bible. It's Scriptures, it's scrolls, or what we call it the Bible. It's the same thing with Sola Scriptura. To best understand the Bible is to read the Bible and to get everything from Scripture. Because as, it, as we know, is that Scripture is the Word of God. The Word of God is authoritative. Therefore, Scripture is authoritative. But Jesus even handled this as well. With, when it came to, to elder, elder traditions and human traditions, whether or not they were on the same level of authority. And so up on the screen behind me, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 through 9, you can write it down, but it should be behind me as well. This is a story between the Pharisees and the scribes as, as Jesus was plainly met and being in this conflict with some of them as they were conflicting over, man, your disciples didn't wash your hands, right? It's the tradition of the, of the church in that day. Reading verse 1, ESV, is that the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why don't you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition, for God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever revelies father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, didn't Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. So here we have our Lord Jesus and these Pharisees and scribes coming up before him and saying, yo, your, your, your disciples did not follow the, the tradition of the elders to wash their hands. And Jesus plainly debunks that by showing them scripture or sharing them scripture. And as we see very plainly, as these Pharisees and scribes firmly believed that this elder tradition held authority, some would even want to say that this authority, this tradition had been passed down from Moses, although we may not know. So they held it very, very firm as if this was authority, and that's how they taught it. But here we have Jesus coming into the picture. Did Jesus accept this tradition as authority? Certainly not. No, tradition is not on the same level of the scriptures. And we read that and we know that by from verse 16, again, as we see God's spoken word, his spoken word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's this theostas, this is alone by itself. In 2 Peter 2.21, we read this as well. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If you're like me, sometimes I just need some simple images to help me understand and learn things. So on the screen, there's a picture of this sailboat. And so we have from God, the sailboat's men, as he sails, taking the spoken word. It wasn't that God used these men to speak his word. It's that God spoke it, his word. And it spoke it through the men, and through that, equal scripture. And for me, it's like, okay, I don't need anything else. I'm good. I understand it. Perfect. But we understand that God caused his divine word to be written by human authors. He breathed it through them. It was amazing. And we have it here this morning. And as the final authority in our lives, the word of God is continually, as 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, is teaching us. It is profitable for, for, for it to teach us. And so as we'll, we'll go through these individually, we'll see this first one as it is profitable for teaching. And today in AD 2021, as we enter into 2022, God's voice is not mute. He is speaking. He is speaking every single day. The church today is not without God's voice. And whether or not in your own personal life you're waiting for one of those moments of, man, I just want like a burning bush moment. I just need the Lord just to kind of just speak. and just Lord, if you would just hit me in the face and just tell me plainly, I'm cool with that. Please do it. And some of you do have a testimony in which God just so clearly spoke to you. And that's amazing. And I do too. But where I find it most is in his word. As I study his word. One of my favorite quotes, I have no idea who it's from, is that if you want to hear God's voice, read his word aloud. If you want to hear his voice, read his word aloud. So we see that from Paul's writing, so that the Bible is constantly teaching us as we submit our lives to his word. We must come again, the idea of humbly before the Lord and I'd be curious to know how much of your personal testimony, how many of you in this room, where it was just a simple Bible study, or someone just simply gave you a Bible or shared a, a scripture with you, which then led to you maybe reading for your, on your own the, the scriptures, and then it led to God enlightening your heart to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I, I'm, I would love to know how often it was in your life where it was just you're, you're seeking the Lord and you didn't know what to do and then you just began to read his word. And it was as if it was just such a spotlight in your life and God spoke and used his word to kind of provoke you, to move you. And it was teaching you in that moment. And so God's word is profitable because it teaches us. And I'm glad it teaches us because as, as I am in my own life, I need God's word to teach me. I need it to, to, to get me going in, in some areas of my life as I humbly come before and read it. So one of the ways I personally am continually being taught by God's word is by hiding it in my heart, by memorizing scripture. And so for most of you parents who have students, you don't, maybe, maybe you don't know this, um, and most of you who are not in youth group, you wouldn't know this. But one of the ways in which here at Alpharetta, our, our youth are, are constantly encouraged to memorize scripture. And I can tell them that a thousand, a million times, but I don't know. The, the, I mean, it's like telling them information about the winter retreat. And did you tell your mom? No, I forgot. Okay, great. Um, but I began to place laminated scriptures on each one of the chairs in which they walk in. And it's been so encouraging to see some of them are picked up, some of them are left. That's okay. But the ones who do pick them up, seeing them memorize the scripture, coming and hungry, hey, well, there's more scripture. We can take that, and they can put that in their car. We've told them to put it in places which they're going to come across it daily, whether that's in their, their bathroom in the mirror or, or those who drive, put in your glove box or, or in, in front of you somewhere so that you're going to run into it, so that you're going to see God's word in front of you daily. And not only that, and as I've just mentioned, that God has placed a heavy conviction on my heart to memorize his word, to hide it in my, my heart so that it may be displayed in my life. And that's what God's word, as it does, as it, as it teaches us, it's teaching us to be holy. It's teaching us to be set apart. It's teaching us to be like his son, Jesus, in manner, in word, in thought. It's teaching us. Mark 13, 31 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Church, it profits us all to allow the word of God to teach us how to live. The, the kind of uncomfortable part for maybe some of you is that you don't want it to teach you how to live. And that's why you're avoiding scripture. It's been said that the, the word of God will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the word of God. And, and that's just so true. That is so true that your life and where you are personally is if you might not be studying God's word is because you know it's going to tell you something you don't want to hear in that moment. And that's why you must come before humbly, ready to receive his word. And so God's word, it teaches us. It's profitable to teach us. And secondly, it's, it's reproof. It's a rebuking, your translation might say. And the idea behind that is that God's word reveals that I, that you, we got a sin problem. We have a sin problem in our life. And God's word rebukes us. It reproofs us in that life as we study it, as we read it. It's constantly revealing ourselves to ourselves because as the Bible says, man, our heart is wicked. It's deceitfully wicked. And we don't even half the time understand it. And so God's word brings to light those things in our hearts. We're like, oh, I wasn't even made aware of that. Lord, thank you for showing me that. And there's an opportunity there for repentance. And then you're able to move on. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
God's word is like a surgeon, so precise in cutting and revealing our hearts. Do you want it to reveal your heart? Are you prepared for it to reveal your heart? It doesn't matter. You've been walking with the Lord for 30, 40 years. God's word is constantly going to reveal things to us that we're going to have to see in light of who he is. And our God is a holy and perfect God. And in light of our decisions and our thoughts and our words and our actions, it doesn't always look good. So we need to allow God's word to teach us. We need God's word to rebuke us. I needed it. That's the only way for you and I to even come to a saving knowledge of the gospel, is that it, it hits you in your part of life where you were walking in sin, you were, you were alienated from him, and maybe you read scripture, you heard the gospel for the first time, and it was in that moment where you bent the knee to Jesus and you said, never, man, I am done with my life for myself. Does that mean that you walked away and you're now perfect? No, absolutely not. That's why God's word is continually teaching us. It's rebuking us. And in so rebuking us, God's word provokes us to a righteous living. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May that be our prayer. Lord, may I not wander from your commandments. And Lord, where I am wandering, would you bring me back? Would you show me, Lord? Would you, would you, would you just speak to my heart through your word? So it's, it's, it's teaching us. It's, it's rebuking us. And also, as we see from Paul, it's also for correction and for training in righteousness. You see, even though as we're rebuked and we need that then correction, God's word brings solution into our lives. We see the countless testimonies of, of maybe in your own life, the count, countless testimonies of your life or maybe others in who you've talked to as we've seen the release of, of bondage because of sin, because of God's word coming alive in their life, that they are no longer addicted to drugs. They are no longer uh, being controlled by the substance of alcohol. They are no longer being controlled by the desire and the lust of pornography. They're no longer being controlled by the desires of the lust of the flesh because God's word has come alive in their life. And there is freedom in the truth of Jesus. There is freedom. And I, I'm getting worked up because I've experienced that. I experience it daily. That's why I'm so animated and excited about when I tell students to read the word of God. I'm not just saying that just to say that. I have experienced being in bondage and being set free because of the word of God coming alive in my life where Satan would love to keep in your life, it doesn't matter how old you are, sin and darkness, as soon as it is brought to light, there is repentance, there's turning away, and then there's so, there's so much joy because of the freedom that is found in God's truth. We see also that marriages are being restored and are being restored through the truth that we find in God's word. As we see in our lives and countless others, the word of God ministering in our lives. And so don't question, don't question solo scriptura, that God's word is the final authority in your life and in my life. 
Allow it to have its full effect. Begin, like Martin Luther, to have a rigorous reading style in your life daily. It's a challenge of mine daily to spend time with the Lord. And every time, I'm not like, I don't put down my Bible. I was like, oh, that was a waste of time. No, I get up and like, that was so enjoyable. Thank you, Lord. And, and, and then I'm challenged and I'm convicted because as I'm reading it, I'm, I'm either being taught, the Lord rebukes me, he, he is correcting me, he is training me for righteousness. And as verse 17 says, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. The idea here that Paul is getting across is that, man, the word of God fully furnishes you. It's like walking in in an apartment which you are renting and it's told that it's fully furnished. And so you walk in and it's fully furnished. It's what you expected. But God's word does that in our own lives, in our own hearts. It, it, it furnishes us. It gets us ready for the good work in which he has established before us. As Ephesians 2.10 says, I don't have it in front of me, so. Man, we are his workmanship, created for good works. Is what the Bible tells us. And that idea of, of workmanship, it sounds like, man, we're laborers, workers, or whatever. No, is that we are literally God's poem. That individually, he has uniquely created all of us for a good work. And God's word fully furnishes us for that good work. You have a good work set before you right now. Have you identified that? Has the Lord put that on your heart? And so you may be questioning, well, how, do I, how do I go about this? Or maybe this, you've, you've received some horrible news, hard news, and you don't know how to respond to it. God's word comes along. God's word tells us that he is the God of comfort. It may be questioning for students or, or anyone, like, I don't know the college, I don't know who I'm going to get married to or whatever. God's word tells us in Psalm 119, 105, is that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God doesn't leave us stranded. He's, he has given us his word to guide us, to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us for righteousness. It is final authority in our lives. No question. No man has authority over the word of God. No man has the authority over your life before the word of God. The word of God is final Ephesians, I had it right here on my, my, my screen. I should have said it to you. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should sit on it, think about it. No, that we should walk in them. And so here's the challenge. I'll invite the worship team back up. Here's the challenge this morning. It's super simple, and it's a challenge to my own heart. If God has created us and we are his workmanship and we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he had prepared beforehand, the challenge in itself is that we should then walk in them. That's a challenge for me. That should be a challenge for you. Allowing God's word to have its way in your life. You see, I'm constantly convicted by the word of God. Constantly encouraged by the word of God but I desire for it to radically change my life for the kingdom of God. And I'll end with this this morning, is, is that a critic once said, man, what's the point of going to church? What's the point of reading the Bible? I've gone to a church service a thousand times, 
but I, I don't remember the content. I don't remember where the, where the pastor was in Scripture. I don't remember what he was teaching. You know, I've been a thousand times. What's the point? Well, the response to, to that critic was, my wife has made me a thousand meals, but I don't remember each content of each meal. But what I do know is that each meal nourished me. Isn't that true about the Word of God? Is that it, it nourishes us. It prepares our heart for the good work that God has set before us. So sola scriptura, God's word has authority over our lives. Let it come and reign upon you, the divine nature, and let it press us and to encourage us for the training in righteousness that he has for us. This morning, it's here right before us that he is challenging us, he is training us for righteousness so that the kingdom of God may be glorified. So Father, we love you tremendously. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the effect it's had on my life. I thank you for the effect it had, has had on others. Lord, I pray for those maybe in this room who haven't touched it, who may not know it, but Lord, they would be rebuked this morning by it, to be encouraged through it. Father, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would then come upon water the sea this morning on those who have received your word. Father, I pray for those this morning who are truly hurting, Lord, that you would come and comfort their hearts. Lord, those who, who maybe have, have been dealt with those teachings of false assurance, that they would be enlightened this morning to know that before an almighty, holy God, only the blood of Jesus makes us right. Through repentance and turning away and Jesus welcoming you and entering to our lives through faith. May we receive your word with faith this morning that it may nourish us. And it's your name we pray. Amen.